that this different arrangement does make sense. And I would agree with you. I think I think it makes sense from the standpoint of, of physiology. Take wood, for instance. You know, why, why does the Tang Yijing ascribe an acrid flavor to wood? Well, we know from this sort of network of resonance or network of associations that wood goes with springtime. If there's emotion that's associated with wood, it's dispersing, it's... I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I've been thinking lately about enough, just enough. Usually, this is a response to my patients when they conflate more needles with better treatment results, and they say, load me up, doc. But I've also noticed that this idea of air quotes here covering the bases by adding a few more needles seeps into my thinking when I'm feeling insecure. When in fact, I'm lacking clarity about my diagnosis, and so I add a few more needles with the hope that something sticks and it will be helpful to my patient. I don't like the feeling of not knowing, especially when I'm supposed to be the expert and when I've got an eye toward making sure the patient has a positive experience because, well, you know, we're all in business, and repeat business is what keeps the lights on. But adding more, especially when those additions come from trusting a theory or something someone told me, instead of a clear understanding of the dynamic that I'm seeking to skillfully intervene on, that usually takes me further away from clarity. And even if I do help, I don't know what helped. And while perhaps the patient has the outcome that they were seeking, I'm no closer to increasing my understanding of the medicine than I was when I began working with them. I see it as kind of a lost opportunity. Lately, I've been working on simplifying my work in clinic. I ask myself, what's the one significant change that I'm looking to make in any given situation? I'm not looking to do less for the sake of doing less work, but rather so I can see more clearly the results of the intervention. This really makes me nervous at times when I'm not clear on the diagnosis because without a sense of clarity, crafting a simple indirect intervention is difficult, perhaps impossible, and like you, I want to do well by my patients. So standing in that place of not knowing, it's deeply uncomfortable. Self-doubt is never fun. And so when I think, oh, I'll do a couple extra pins to cover all the bases, I know that for me, it's time to double down on dialing back and clarifying my diagnosis. And even after doing that, there are plenty of times I'm still not completely sure. So here's what I've been doing lately to get more clear. I treat simply the one thing that seems to be at the center of what's going on for my patient in that particular moment. It could be a branch manifestation, it could be a root cause, but I treat with enough simplicity that regardless of whether I'm right or wrong, the response from the patient will help me to clarify so I've got a better idea how to be more helpful in the future. How are you with willing to be wrong on the way to get it right? I'm not talking about being sloppy in the work that you do. I'm talking about being precise and then having enough emotional fortitude to take a misstep and turn it into valuable information that allows for clear diagnosis and treatment. But it takes simple and directed treatment to get that kind of information. Those few extra needles to, quote, cover the bases, it might make us feel better in the moment, but I'm not sure in the long run that is helpful to our patients. A few announcements and bits of news here. First, I'd love to know in one word how you feel about the podcast. So unless you're driving right now, pick up your phone because we can do this right now with a text. Go ahead. I'll wait for a moment. And while I'm waiting, I want to let you know that the guest for the anniversary show has been selected. But Please do keep sending those cool postcards from where you listen to Geological from, because I can't tell you how much delight those things bring to my day. Okay, got your cell phone? Good. You know, I sit here behind this microphone, and for the most part, I have no idea what your experience is on the other end as you listen to the podcast. So help me out here. Bring up your text application, and then up in the area where the phone number goes, type in 444 999-444-999. And then in the text area below, just type the word geological. You will receive back a text 
asking you in one word to describe geological. Reply to that with the first word that comes to mind when you think about the podcast. It really helps me to have a sense of how y'all feel about the podcast. So please take a moment and do that now. Next order of business, for all y'alls out there that have subscribed and become geologicians, first of all, thank you. Your support of the podcast helps me bring you these conversations every single week. One of the perks of being a geologician is that you get access to some special part twos, pre-releases, other special content over on the geologician side of the house. And up until recently, there has been a problem with downloading those podcasts to your cell phone. I've got good news. That problem has finally been fixed. I truly appreciate your patience with this. Sometimes things seem really simple, but it's just a ruse that the universe uses to get you to make a kind of leap of faith. The reality is things often take longer than we expect. The key is to keep pushing forward, or as the Chinese would say, step-by-step reach your goal. So all y'all's out there that are chi logicians, you can go get those podcasts now onto your phone. Thank you so much. I am delighted to bring you these podcasts, and if you want to help keep the servers running here at Geological, do consider supporting the podcast with a monthly or yearly subscription. Other support for the podcast comes from LASA OMS. Why? Because LASA knows that engaged and curious practitioners are the ones most likely to succeed and be a service to their patients. It goes without saying that LASA has pretty much any pin you might be looking for, including the new Promax line of needles from DBC. These were specially designed for sports and orthopedic acupuncture applications. I've been using these needles lately in my own general practice because they slide in smooth as silk, and then with a little twist or two, you can really dial up the chi. Lhasa is also sponsoring the Love Your Practice Conference in Miami. Oh, Miami. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? It's on June 8th and 9th of this year. You can attend live and in person or from the comfort of your own living room by live streaming. Visit the Lhasa OMS website for more information. And if you've not signed up for their email list, please do so. It gets you a heads up on lots of flash sales. You're going to want to know about those. All right. Let's get into today's conversation. All y'alls out there that have a taste for classical medicine, you're going to love this one. We are looking at the medicine of flavors, as it's talked about in the Tang Ye Jing, the classic of soups. This discussion gets into the therapeutics of flavor and how we can think about herbs with an eye toward the five phases. Let's get to it. Hey, fellow geologicians. Welcome to Geological. My guest today is Joshua Park. I came across Joshua, I think over on the distraction machine, actually. I try not to spend too much time there, but on occasion I do. And there were some great articles that he had up there about the Tanya Jing. Now, the Tanya Jing, for those of you herbalists, you're probably shaking your head going, oh yeah, the lost classic. And for those of you that are not herbalists, buckle up. We're in for a great conversation. We're going to get into all this stuff. Joshua, welcome to Geological. Thanks so much, Michael. It's great to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Now, there's so many places we can start. I'm just going to start with one that, you know, it's like doing an acupuncture treatment. You wander around all the channels eventually. So first of all, you're a fairly new practitioner, right? Yes. I, I just graduated in 2017. I would say I'm I'm pretty green, pretty fresh. Fresh out of the blocks. That's great. You know, I mean, it, it's the beginning of our career, hopefully throughout our career, but especially at the beginning, you know, it's all so fresh and new. It's, it's, it's just a perfect time to explore. I am curious to know how you came across the Tanya Jing and what sparked you up with this thing? That's a, it's a great question because, you know, as you said, a lot of people think of the Tanya Jing as this lost classic. And to some extent, it is kind of a lost classic, but um, fragments of it have been preserved in another work. Um, and that has kind of come down through different Chinese herbal medicine lineages. I just kind of got exposed to it a little bit through my training. So I studied at the National University of Natural Medicine 
which uh, one of the co-founders of that school is uh, Heiner Feuhoff. And there's also a number of people there who studied with Dr. Arnaud Versluis, and both Dr. Versluis and Dr. Feuhoff are students of Dr. Zhang, probably pronouncing his name wrong, Dr. Zhang Rongxiu. Yeah, Dr. Zhang. Yes, exactly, Dr. Zhang. Zhang or Zhang, yeah, I, I can't remember it either, but... Uh... Yeah, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. He did, um, but his his students are are keeping his work alive, and certainly within within that lineage, um, there's a lot of attention paid to the Tanya Jing. So just going to that school, people would mention it; they'd bring it up. One of my herbal teachers, Michael Givens, had this really nice chart of all of the herbs in the Tanya Jing arranged according to this sort of five phase or five elements pairing basically and so it was it was always something that was kind of i guess sort of just in the air in my in my training yeah lucky for you yeah i you know i, I went to a really special school and I, I i feel really really blessed to have had all the teachers that i've had so you've been writing about the tanya ching i mean at this point are you reading it in english are you reading it in chinese where are you getting access to sort of the source text so to speak there are people who have delved really deeply into into the text. Um, I'm really just looking at a very basic set of passages, and you, you'll see if you pull up any of my articles that I'm basically just looking at the section that assigns each of the herbs to a particular uh, one of the five phases. That's really it. I'm just saying, okay, you know, Xiaoyao uh, belongs to metal. It's the earth of metal. And that's pretty much it. So I'm just taking that statement and I'm kind of running with it. I'm saying, what does that really mean? What, what do I get out of that statement? If I look at the way that, say, other classical texts that we do have more and fuller access to, like the Shenlong Ben Jing, you know, or like the Shanghan Lun, the Jingwei, what does it really mean to say that Xiaoyao is the earth of metal? I mean, that's a great question. Can you unpack that for us? Help us understand it a bit? Absolutely. What seems to make sense to me, just, just looking at these very basic lines from the Tanya Jing and then kind of cross-referencing them with other classics, is that it, it's kind of saying that to say that Xiaoyao is, is the earth of metal means that it kind of takes the activity of metal and it transports it into the realm of earth. That probably seems very abstract, you know, so part of what I'm doing in this article series, too, is trying to say, okay, you know, we've got these abstract diagrams of the five phases and different herbs are assigned to them. But what does that really mean clinically? It actually makes sense if we think about the activity of Xiaoyao, we think about the way that that herb is used classically. You know, it's often used for abdominal pain. For instance, you know, the abdomen is the realm of earth. So we know right away, okay, it's doing something to the abdomen. You know, that makes sense. That's the earth. You know, where 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 does metal come in? Well, in modern TCM, I think we often describe Xiaoyao as having a softening effect on the liver. And so what that means is that it's it's taking metal, which we know controls wood, and it is able to kind of buffer the activity of wood controlling earth, you know, and if you look at the indications for Xiaoyao in the classics, you know, you'll see formulas like Xiaojianzhong Tang or Guizhijia Xiaoyao Tang, that poetic metaphor of taking the activity of metal and bringing it into the realm of earth, I feel like describes the, the function of those formulas very well. This is really interesting because the way that you just described it brings in the whole co-cycle. Yes of the five phases because you're taking Xiaoyao and because it can soften and calm down the liver, that's going to pull it off the spleen. And so the spleen has more ability to unfold itself in the way that it needs to unfold itself. Exactly. You know, and of course there's that very famous passage, I think in the very opening chapter of the Jingwei where it says, the skilled physician, when the liver's disease, they don't just treat the liver, you know, they understand that a diseased liver is going to affect the spleen. And so that the skilled physician will also address the spleen as well. That's kind of a perfect example of that principle. All of Zhang Zhengjing's formulas really are, are perfect exemplars of that, of that principle of not just treating something directly, but, but seeing the sort of broader dynamics of pathology and physiology. Sure. Well, you know, so often we are taught to look at not so much what's the problem, 
but what's the dynamic? If you can understand the dynamic, you can bring that to treating almost any kind of problem. I think that's really the key to so much of Chinese medicine. And I think that that is, you know, the key to a, a classical approach in particular is to be focused on the dynamic and understand the dynamic. And if you can just, you know, resolve the dynamic, everything just kind of unfolds to, to its optimal state of functioning. I want to step back for a moment and come back to the lost classic aspect of this. And, and dig into the history here, and, th and then we'll come back and, and talk more about herbs, because uh, I'm kind of an herb geek. I love that. But I'm curious to know, you say it's come down through other works. Can you give us a bit of a timeline or help us to understand how we still have aspects of the Tanya Jing in our modern day? Fragments of it are preserved in a work called the Fuxing Jue Wuzang Yongyao Faiyao. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too much. Um, we'll put it on the show notes page. <laughs> yes, that's probably a good idea. Um, you know, that, the title of that translates to something like um, Auxiliary Secrets for Treating the Zhang Fu Using Herbal Medicine, or you could possibly also translate that as kind of rhymed herbal Secrets for um, for treating the Zhang Fu. This is a work that's attributed to Tao Hongjing, who was a Taoist alchemist, the founder of Shangqing Taoism. He lived kind of in between the Han and the Tang dynasties, I believe. And within this work, there's large sections that are either quoting the Tang Yijing directly or making reference to it. And this text itself, the the which is I often just shortened to the the Fuxing Jue, that basically was itself a lost text until the 20th century, um, when it was rediscovered in China. There are some questions about its authenticity. There certainly were when it was first discovered, but for the most part now, I think most people basically accept it as as an authentic text. I'm not really a, a huge scholar of Chinese history. You know, I, I have a general sense of the sort of the basic outline. I'm certainly not an, an archaeologist, so I, I really can't speak to the, the authenticity of, of that document. But I will say, if, if we look at the sections of the Tang Yijing that seem to have survived in it, um, and we just look at the, the sort of five-phase logic that they contain, and then we apply that to formulas in the Shang Hunlun, in the Jingwe, it all seems to make a tremendous amount of sense. And we do know from looking at other texts that there was a direct influence on Zhang Zhangjing from the Tanya Jing. Even texts that are basically unrelated to herbal medicine, like um, the Zhenzhou Jiayi Jing, for instance. If you read the introduction to that by Huang Fumi, he specifically mentions, um, you know, yes, there's this text called the Tanya Jing. It deals with formulas and Zhang Zhongjing, you know, was influenced by this text. There's there's references to that. And then I think if we look at what what we have in the Fuxing Jue, you know, the fragments of the Tang Yijing that have survived, it, it becomes clear that there there's definitely some some level of influence. Probably the, the most obvious is that there's a number of formulas there, sometimes under different names, but that are almost identical to formulas that you see in the Shang Hanlun. For instance, there's uh, a formula called Xuan Wu Tang. Xuan Wu is the, the black tortoise. Um, he's sort of the directional god of the north. And that's very similar to a formula called Zhen Wu Tang that we all know in the Shang Hanlun. There's clearly a connection. Yeah, big influences. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking about how the herbs fit within the five phases. Is there also a way of looking at the herbs from, from the Tanya Jing's point of view that would associate them with, say, one of the, the O Jing, one of the six levels? To be just very frank, I haven't looked, I would say, very deeply into the Tanya Jing, honestly, past these sort of basic, basic assignments of the herb to different phases. From what I can tell, though, it is largely kind of a five-phased base perspective, which is very interesting because, you know, we all know that the Shang Hanlun and the Jingwei Yaole, for the most part, the way most people think of the formulas in those books and the way that Shang Hanlun in particular is arranged is according to a kind of a Liu Jing uh, framework. So it's it's interesting to, to, to bring in a five-phase 
framework. And I feel like what 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 you can do is if you just have this very basic understanding of this is how the Tanya Jing arranges these herbs according to a five-phase framework. And then you kind of layer that over a six confirmations framework. Um, that can bring out just a very interesting perspective on how to use herbs, um, a very interesting perspective on formula architecture. Well, it seems to me what you're talking about with the Tang Yijing, and, and from my small amount of, of looking into it and study that I've done, it seems to be talking about, I'm going to call it the way that proper physiology works. It's not really looking at a model of pathology as it's looking at, here's how things work when they're working properly. Does that sound right to you? Yes, absolutely. I, I think that is really at sort of the heart of the way that the herbs are arranged and even the way that the, the flavors are assigned. This was to some extent my reaction when I first encountered um, the Tang Jing and just the arrangement of flavors was, you know, what the heck, this completely is the opposite of, of what we've learned. You know, we know that sour goes with wood, but here the Tang Jing is saying that sour goes with metal. You know, we know acrid goes with metal, but the Tang Jing here is saying that it's ascribed to wood. Everything, everything just seems to be backwards, particularly when when we're students of Chinese medicine, we're just trying to to get the basic foundations. It can be very frustrating because it seems like there's all these different systems that all arrange things very differently. You know, and if you're looking for just sort of a single solid key to everything, it, it can be a very frustrating <laughs> experience. Um, Forget it. It's not going to happen. Right. But, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're able to step back and understand that these are all just different frameworks and different models, we can basically switch between them fluidly, um, but that there's also sort of a deep interrelationship between them. We can appreciate that this different arrangement does make sense. And I would agree with you. I think, I think it makes sense from the standpoint of, of physiology, Take wood, for instance, you know, why, why does the Tanya Jing ascribe an acrid flavor to wood? Well, we know from this sort of network of resonance or network of associations that wood goes with springtime. If there's emotion that's associated with wood, it's dispersing, it's spreading outward. You know, what, what is that? That's what the acrid flavor does. There's a deep physiological reason why the Tanya Jing has kind of inverted the sort of normal, normal flavor relationships. I talk about this, I think, a little bit in the sort of introductory segment. Those those normal flavor relationships, I shouldn't say normal, the, the standard ones that we know, they come up in numerous chapters of the Su Wen. But there, there's also kind of a Neijing basis for the way that Tanya Jing organizes the flavors. And you'll find that in chapter 22 of the Su Wen that discusses the five flavor associations we find in the Tanya Jing side by side with the more standard arrangement. And it's interesting because it says that the flavors assigned to the five phases by the Tanya Jing tonify their respective organs. So acrid tonifies the liver. And we can think about what that means, again, if we think, um, as, as you were suggesting that we do in terms of physiology, you know, if the liver wants to spread and disperse, you know, because that is the movement associated with wood, that is the movement associated with springtime, it makes perfect sense that acrid would tonify that. What we mean in this context by tonify is sort of accentuate that natural physiological function of spreading. Right. It's normal. The normal thing it wants to do is to go outward. Exactly. Exactly. And so the acrid takes it further up. So, and I'd like to go around the wheel with you for people that are new to this way of thinking. Let's, let's hear all of them so that people have a basis for uh, getting what we're about to talk about. Sure. So, so the Tanya Jing basically, it says that uh, acrid is associated with wood uh, salty is associated with fire. Sweet is associated with earth. That one at least is the same. Sour is associated with metal and bitter is associated with water. So we usually associate bitter with the heart. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And we usually associate salty with the water. Yes. It sounds like the way that we learned it in school that for example, sour with the wood, that's actually what helps control the wood. Exactly. That's exactly. Salty is what would control the bitter. 
Yes. And then you got Earth in the center. Earth is just Earth. It's hanging in the center. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure if you'll have kind of a visual model of the of the Tanya Jing um, on the page. But yes, exactly. This is not just a five-phase model, but this is a five-phase model with the Earth in the center. Right. Well, we can we can certainly put one on the show notes page. I think that's a, a good idea for people that are trying to you know, wrap their mind around it. I mean, whenever we first hear a new idea, it seems the initial response is, what the heck? What are they talking about? What kind of nonsense is this? Especially when it goes against what we've been told is the correct way. But again, we're looking here. This is just something I've been toying with a lot. I'm going to use the term proper physiology. So the proper physiology, you know, the thing that that makes something, that promotes something, like you were saying, acrid for wood, but we know sweet for earth. For the fire element, salt would actually promote the fire. How does that work? How does the salty flavor promote the heart? Have you got a sense of that? I should mention that, you know, the, the Tanya Jing series is, is ongoing and it's kind of ongoing in the order that I'm exploring these. So I haven't really delved very deeply into fire just yet. This series is just sort of me almost thinking out loud, just looking at these relationships and then sort of cross-referencing with the Shenlong Ben Sao Jing and then cross-referencing with formulas that use the herbs that are in, in the Tanya Jing. That said, you know, if we, if we think about the activity of, of fire and we think about the activity of summer, for instance, you know, summer is about growth and expansion. What does the salty flavor do? The salty flavor kind of uh, softens things. You know, and I think we can think about the activity of fire as kind of softening things. When you heat something up, oftentimes mm -hmm. it, heat softens it softens things. things, it dissolves things, um, you know. And so in that sense, I think the salty flavor, it, it's, it's uh, sort of optimizing that, that heating, dissolving quality of fire that I would say is, is probably kind of a prerequisite to the, to the expanding and growing quality that we associate with fire and with summer. Um, yeah, I, I'll probably I'll have look a, forward to reading what you come up with. On <laughs> thank that. you. I was going to say I'll probably have a more comprehensive answer once once I dive into into those herbs. But that's just that's just the sense that that I get at this point. Well, thank you for your work with this. I think it's a really generous thing to take something that you're in the midst of learning. You're putting pieces together. And before you maybe have it all completely figured out, you say, here's a work in progress. Check it out. See what you think. You know, generate some conversation. You know, so often, I think a lot of us, we prefer to wait until we like really get it before we throw it out there. And then there's throwing things out too soon. But, you know, putting an inquiry out so that we can have a conversation, that, that's so helpful in being able to puzzle through medicine. I, I really hope that, um, you know, that it, that it does stimulate a conversation. And yeah, that's absolutely what, what I'm trying to do is just, you know, so, sort of think out loud. And, um, you know, again, yeah, I, I, I welcome any comments or conversations that are, that are sparked, sparked by my work. Is all of your work being published on Facebook or are there other places for those of us that have attention issues like your host? Are there other places where we could go and read this? Because I, I got to tell you, when I go to Facebook, 20 minutes later, I'm trying to remember why I went there. That speaks to my issues with attention. But I'm wondering if there's any places that you've got on the interwebs where if we just wanted to go and have a conversation and kind of read what you're doing and maybe talk about it, have you got a website or anything like that these days for this? Um, I don't have a, a personal website myself just yet. That is something that I'm working on. But all of this series is basically being published through Chinese Medicine Central. So you can see basically the whole series on ChineseMedicineCentral.com, um, which is a website run by Eric Gray. Uh, he's a student of, well, rather, he's, he's a practitioner in his own right, but he has studied with Dr. Arnover Sluis. He practices Chinese medicine in Astoria, Oregon. And um, yeah, he's got this website, Chinese Medicine Central, that publishes really a range of material that I think would be very interesting. He's got material kind of on practice management. Um, he's got some CEUs available there. He's got a blog 
you know, he's been very generous in, in letting me kind of work, work through this on, on his website. Um, and he, he publishes all of the, all of the Tanya Jing series there. Okay. That's, that's great because uh, I prefer to read it there than Facebook. So glad to hear that's in the works there. You talked about how looking at the herbs through the lens of the Tanya Jing, which again, I'm, I'm going to come back and call it proper physiology when overlaid with the six levels can bring another way of looking. The thing that I find interesting about this is that the six levels seems to talk more about pathology, what happens when things are not working right. It seems like there's this double level of thinking that can come from this study where, where if you understand how something's supposed to work, and then you can overlay it on a situation where it's not working, maybe something else comes into view for how you can use it. I'm wondering if you have any experience with this. That's an interesting point, you know, the the physiology versus pathology. And to me, I think it's sort of like we can choose to view things primarily physiologically or primarily in terms of pathology. You know, I, I would suggest we can absolutely, even though maybe we think of the Liu Jing more in terms of pathology, we could absolutely view it instead in terms of physiology, in terms of function. I think the key to that is this concept of sort of opening, closing, pivoting. If we think in those terms, um, we can sort of reframe the Liu Jing in terms of physiology. You know, and I, in general, I would say that's that's a perspective I, I try to cultivate within myself is emphasizing physiological function rather than some pathology that has to be, you know, eliminated or expelled. Sometimes that's I think that's a useful perspective clinically, but more often than not, what I've found, you know, and granted, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a new new practitioner. I don't have a ton of clinical experience just yet. But from what from what I've seen, I find it is it is almost always better to view things in terms of physiology. I think that that, that opens up, I would say, if nothing else, more, more possibilities uh, in terms of strategies to implement. And I certainly think that um, in terms of how we view our patients, it's 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 better to view things in terms of physiology. And I think that that can open up a more positive perspective for them. Yeah. Well, if we're trying to fight disease, all right, that's a battle. But if we can take aspects of our physiology that already are working perfectly well and bring it to bear on the areas that need some help, and those areas naturally could help that, you know, it's like just shunting some water from an area that's got too much to an area that doesn't have enough. Exactly. Things just naturally take their course. Exactly. And I I think if we look at any of the formulas in, in the Shang Hunlun or the Jingwei, that is... That's sort of really what's going on is I think that these formulas are working with, they're working with physiology, you know, even, even formulas that if we think about them as sort of trying to expel, you know, a, a wind cold pathogen, for instance, you know, what, what is that doing? You're using the body's natural ability to sweat, to, to eliminate something. You're working with that, you know, you could say you're working with the natural function of Taiyang to open, for instance. That line of thought, I think, is very close to what um, what Zhang Zhongjing was was after. Mm -hmm. Let's let's dig into this a little bit. The what I think I heard you say. Let me just double check this. Is that in looking at the open close pivot aspect of the the Jing, we can begin to get a sense of proper function of each of these different levels. Yes. So, and, and we're just talking about the Taiyang. So. Can you walk us through what a healthy, proper functioning Taiyang looks like and acts like from the perspective of it's this, you know, it's Taiyang, it's the greatest outside, it's associated with the small intestine and it's associated with the urinary bladder. So there's an aspect of both fire and water that come into the Taiyang in that way. And it's got this opening aspect. So what what does a healthy Taiyang look and act like? That is a huge question. But, um, you know, I, I think the key, you know, is always about balance, right? So the, the function of, of Taiyang is, is to open. And so what you're looking for is something that is opening just enough and not open too much and that is able to, you know, open fully to its, its fullest expression. 
I think the way that that can manifest, there's there's really so, so many different ways. I mean, you know, you look at the Shanghan Long and, and you know, something like 60% of the book at least is just Taiyang. That should clue us in that the, the functions of that of that aspect of the Liu Jing is, is an enormous topic. In terms of just basic herbal medicine theory, you know, we all know Guizhitong and Mahuangtong are kind of the two Taiyang formulas, you know, so a case where Taiyang is open too much, you know, where, where the exterior is a little too susceptible to external stimuli, that's more of a, a Guizhitong pattern where things, things are too open or rather opening is not, not regulated properly. Mahuangtong, you could say that's a, that's a case where things are too closed, where the Taiyang sort of fails to open. Does that make sense? Well, it does. Yeah. I mean, those two formulas are indeed exemplary formulas for just this kind of thing, you know, especially the Bai Shao in that, in that Guizhitong, you know, helping to astringe and constrain so that you don't lose fluids. And then you've got the Ma Huang to open up a dynamic that it wants to open, but it can't quite get there. Talk to us a little bit about open, close, pivot, and why these are important. And more importantly, how you would consider using these aspects in your clinical work. For me, I think they're they're sort of the key to just again seeing things in in terms of of proper physiology, and in, in terms of how that that plays out clinically, you can look at any given patient. I think, and and our first instinct, I think, is to say, you know, where where is one of these functions compromised, and then that leads to, to the you know the next question: How do we restore normal functioning or optimal functioning? You know, at the same time, we can also think about where where are things functioning, what aspect of the physiology is functioning in a healthy way, and then how can we use that to kind of guide our intervention, I guess, or how can we how can we use the resources that presently exist to address a problem? It's probably a, a huge topic of debate, you know, which Shang Hunlin formula is the most useful, which is the most used. I would suggest probably a lot of people would, would say that Shao Chai Patong or its modifications are probably some of the most versatile, commonly used formulas in clinic. And why is that? I, I would suggest that um, it has to do with that sort of importance of, of the pivot. And if you can get the pivot functioning correctly, that will sort of clear up a lot of other issues. Looking at the Xiaoyang as pivot makes a lot of sense. That, that one I can grasp pretty easily. But the pivot in, on the inside of things, that's the Xiaoyin, correct? Yes. So what's going on there? I mean, I, you know, when I was in school, we learned that the Zhiyin, you know, was like the end of yin, and it's the separation of yin and yang. It always seemed to me that, well, it's, the Zhiyin the was kind of a pivot into something else as well. You know, I can see how the Zhiyin could also be seen as a kind of a pivot. In fact, Hu Shishu and Feng Shui Lin talk about it that way. But understanding the Xiaoyin as a pivot is a bit elusive to me. Can you help me to grasp the pivoting function of the Xiaoyin? And especially from the point of view, in this case, of pathology, what would I be seeing in someone that would lead me to think, oh, their Xiaoyin isn't pivoting? If you just think of kind of the basic Xiaoyin presentation, right? You've got somebody who is the pulse is faint and thin and there's desire only to sleep. I think that's line 281 of the, of the Shanghan Lun. You know, if, if we want to think about this in terms of, you know, the seasons, that's, that's somebody who's stuck in winter, you know, as, as we move into winter, the, the days get shorter, there's more darkness, um, things are cold, but eventually you get to the, you get to the winter solstice, you know, and from that point, that's sort of a, that's sort of a pivot, right? It's like, there's more light after that point there's more warmth um somebody who we would describe as having pathology in the xiaoyin it's as if that that moment where yin turns to yang there's something something is not happening there and so they remain in this this yin state you know and this is happening at a very at a very deep level within them the pivot that's not happening is the pivot of the imperial fire you know and so the pulse is faint and thin um, you know, you'll see signs like 
frigid limbs, diarrhea, um, you know, et cetera, all of, all of these signs that we describe in terms of kidney or heart yang deficiency, if we're thinking more. Right. I mean, it's very much a yang deficient presentation. Right. Absolutely. So I, I would say that the pivoting aspect there is it's as if things, you're not able to pivot out of the darkness of, of yin, essentially. So this, this brings me back to the question of proper physiology, because a, a diseased Shaoyin is cold. And yet when we look at what the Shaoyin organs are, well, you got, you got the heart. It doesn't get much hotter than that. And then you've got the kidney. Now, the kidney is interesting because we have the deep cold water of the kidney, but also in the kidney, right, we have that, that original yang that's stored there. We have the mingmen associated with the kidney. So there's, it seems that throughout the Shaoyin, there is also this deep, deep aspect of fire that needs to be present. Absolutely. You know, and this, this is where it, it's very interesting to kind of overlay this five phase model with, with a Leo Jing model, you know, because from a, from a five phase model, it's emphasizing water with the kidney, but the Leo Jing model sort of directs us to this idea of, of imperial fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious now, as, as we're having this conversation, if we go and look at the, the water herbs, what is the fire herb of water? So fire of water is Huanglian. Huanglian is the fire of water. The way I would make sense of that is if we think about the formula Huanglian Ejiao Tang, which is also treating a Shaoyan condition, um, but that's treating a, a Shaoyan condition, you know, where it's it's more of a heat or a Yin deficient presentation. Um, you know, so how would we understand Huanglian as being the fire of water? I would suggest the way that we 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 understand that is that it, it's bringing the activity of water into the realm of fire. You know, and so if you think about the the presentation of sort of a Huanglian edge out tong pattern, you know, you've got insomnia, you've got vexation, um, you've probably got lots of heat signs. Um, the idea is that sort of the the heart is overheated essentially. And the function of Huanglian there is to bring the activity of water into the realm of fire, cooling off that that heat, sort of soothing the vexation. I, I would suggest that sort of model or that dynamic that I de- that I identified applies to any of any of the herbs in in the Tang Yijing. This to me is the really fascinating thing about looking at the herbs through the Tang Yijing. There's all kinds of ways that I already have a thinking about things. But when I start looking from the Tanya Jing point of view, man, it's like the wheels come off the bus. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's wild, you know, and it, it, I can't speak to this sort of archaeological validity of, of these arrangements of herbs, but they just, it just seems to make so much sense. Yes. Clinically, we can see how it hangs together, but only after a bit of investigation and really looking into it, like you were saying, we've got down in the water, the fire herb is Huanglian. I was I was totally expecting you to say Futsa. Futsa is the water of wood, which is which is interesting. We're gonna get into that in a moment. But this whole idea where what you're doing is you're taking the activity of water and you're moving it into fire. Oh yeah, Huanglian makes total sense now. Right? That just like snaps to grid. Absolutely. That's been my experience with most of these. You know, some of them, some of the herbs are ones that we don't use a whole lot. Um, you know, something like Xuan Fu Hua, for instance, which is the fire of fire. Um, you know, I think that pretty much only shows up in Xuan Fu Daijitang. I haven't gotten to that one yet, but in terms of the ones that I have explored, it all it all seems to to snap into place if I just take take that basic five phase framework look at the way that Zhang Zhongjing uses those herbs, it, it just, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. So just for fun, let's look at this from the other side, the other perspective. What is the water herb of fire? So the water herb of fire is uh, Xiaoshi, which I'll be honest, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Wow, I don't know what it is either. So that that'll be interesting when I when I get to that, um, exploring okay. exactly what that what that one is. 
All right, good. We got a little mystery here. That's that's always a nice Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Let's look into Futsa. Futsa is the water herb of wood, did you say? Yes. All right. How's that work? Well, I would say what, you know, going back to your initial question about, you know, Xiaoyin disease, um, when we think about when Futsa is indicated, it's indicated when you have that, that yang deficient Xiaoyin presentation. And so what that's doing is that's taking, I would say that's bringing the activity of wood into the realm of water. And so it's taking somebody whose presentation we could say is stuck in kind of a winter presentation where everything is locked down and it's taking that warming, moving activity of springtime and it's bringing them out of winter into spring. It's it's allowing Xiaoyin essentially to pivot from yin into yang. Because you're bringing that acrid, warm spring breeze to melt, exactly. to melt the exactly. snow that I'm looking at as we record this right now outside my window. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a metaphor that has a, you know, just an immediate, immediate application for you. You know, you listeners out there, I'd love to hear your comments on this. But for me as an herbalist to, to begin to think about taking one aspect, like taking the fire of water. So what that does is it moves the water energy into the fire. Yes. I mean, we do this with needles, right? Where you can transfer energy. I mean, there's all kinds of five-phase correspondences where you can pull energy from one of the channels and transfer it to its five-phase correspondence, right? You can take it over to the to whatever is the controlling element, or you can take it into the mother element, or you can, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can do these, these transfers with needles. And what I am hearing you talk about with the Tanya Jing is there are exemplary herbs, and I suspect there's other herbs that are related to them that would do a similar thing, but we're literally using these herbs to do a transfer through the five phase energetics. Exactly. And to me, that was also something that stood out when I first started really exploring this was that this is very interesting for somebody maybe who is more familiar with, um, with acupuncture than with herbs, you know, and particularly for people who utilize, you know, there's many different acupuncture systems out there that, that utilize the sort of uh, five transport points or five antique points, five shoe points, however you, you want to call them, you know, that are doing this all the time with acupuncture, as you said. So it's very interesting to look and consider and see how we could do this with herbs, how we already are doing this with herbs. Within within the Tanya Jing and within the fragments of the Tanya Jing that we have preserved in the in the Fuxing Jue, there are sets of formulas that are discussed putting these herbs together. I, I don't really go into that really at all in the in the Tanya Jing series that I'm doing. Another uh, practitioner, Michael Del Orfano, has already done that in collaboration with Heiner Feuhoff. Um, and his, his work is available on classicalchinesemedicine.org, um, where he kind of goes in and looks at the formulas in the Tanya Jing. Um, and so the Tanya Jing will have a minor tonify the lung decoction, a major tonify the lung decoction, a minor sedate the lung decoction, a major sedate the lung decoction that's combining these herbs in such a way that you are tonifying or draining the respective organ. You know, I've read his articles, um, you know, and I've, I've looked at how, how that works. I've compared it to the way you would tonify or drain um, kind of using the the five five transport points um, with acupuncture, and it, it's not quite the same. Um, and I think that reflects the difference in modality between acupuncture and herbal medicine. But it's very interesting that it's that same dynamic at play. But what's interesting to me is that you know if we consider the influence that this had on Zhang Zhongjing, anybody who uses a classical formula is already, I would say, is already engaging in this kind of tonification and draining process, even if they don't realize it. So even if we're just like, say, straight up Shanghan Lin practitioners, there's actually this kind of blueprint in the background that we can also access if we decide to dig into this and, and look at these other ways of thinking about relationships with the herbs across the phases. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You do acupuncture as well as herbs, yes? I do, yes. Okay. I'm wondering how your study of the Tang Ye Jing 
has affected the acupuncture that you do, if, if it's affected it at all? I'm just wondering how it might come into your clinical thinking when you're working with needles. I would say my, my style is still kind of evolving. That said, I became interested in kind of exploring the Tanya Jing very deeply around the same time that I've become more interested in working basically more with the five transport points. You know, I've, I've always emphasized them, but increasingly I feel like my, my style is one that kind of uses those more primarily. In terms of the acupuncture systems that I'm, I'm interested in exploring, they're all increasingly ones that kind of favor or emphasize either the five transport points or kind of a, a five song perspective, I would say. It's interesting how we study one thing and it kind of infects what we're doing in other places. It Actually, I don't think it can not change how we think about things in other places. Absolutely. It's part of the fun of what we do. Totally. Everything is everything is connected, you know, and for me that's that's what's great about about Chinese medicine is that it it's able to encompass everything. I feel like to a, to an extent that nothing else I've encountered, you know, really does. Well, certainly if you enjoy the process of inquiry, you got a lifetime supply of it with this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Joshua, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners here today? Nothing I can I can think of, honestly. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's probably everything. All right. Well, I'll have information on the show notes page about where people can find the ongoing inquiry that you are so generously sharing with us. And uh, any books or any other items that you think would be of use to the listeners, just uh, let me know and we'll put it on the show notes page so people can get access to this stuff. I'll definitely think of a few things and uh, let you know. That sounds great. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for the work you're doing. I look forward to reading more of it. And thanks for taking time to sit down for a conversation with me today. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Michael. All right, that's it for today's conversation. Hey, if you guys like what you're hearing here, if it's helpful to you, please tell your friends about it. Also, I'm kind of curious. I can look at the download statistics for this podcast, and I see, obviously, there's people in North America that listen to this. There's folks in Australia, Russia, Japan, China. Oh, China, imagine that, China. And I'm wondering where it is that you're listening to this podcast from. So if you don't mind, if you're listening to this right now, pull out your phone or maybe go buy a postcard. Take a picture. Let me see where it is that you listen to Geological from. You can email it to me. The address is michael at geological.com or you could send me a postcard. Wow, postcard. That is so old school. I'd love to have that. You'll find the address over on the website. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.